All right, so we are going to have our time in God's Word together now. And again, this is going to be an abbreviated sermon, and I need my Bible. So it's right there. Thank you. We change the order of service, and I go to pieces, folks. So uh, if you have a Bible with you, please open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, one of my pet peeves is when uh, a preacher says, you've been told everything wrong about this passage before. I, I don't like doing that, but if you're familiar with this passage, everything you've been told is wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry to do it. I hate to be that guy, but um, I always heard this passage as being like, yeah, if, you know, with things that don't matter, you can do whatever you want. That's what Paul's talking about with meat sacrifice to idols. We're going to see that has nothing to do with what Paul's talking about here, that the message of this passage is actually much deeper and much richer. Um, let's read just verses 1 through 3 of chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, the text is on the screen. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3. Now about food sacrifice to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, speak through your word now. I pray that, that you would bring conviction where necessary, encouragement um, where needed and that we would not be hard-hearted to your word, but that we would hear and respond. In Jesus' name, amen. There was once a uh, pastor named Francis Schaeffer. Some of you may have heard of him. But his books and his ministry really was impactful for me. He was known for how gracious he was to people who didn't believe the gospel, and he, he really interacted well. So it was a surprise when I found out that early in his ministry— he was part of like this huge acrimonious split where he and a bunch of these other people split off in their denomination. And a year after that, they split from that. They called themselves appropriately the separated movement. And after a while of being in this, right, these were people who were very zealous for teaching the Bible right, get the right content, the right doctrine. And eventually... Francis Schaeffer, after years and years, came to the conclusion that biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world. He saw how, how, the, how the, the, the people in this group, though they were zealous for the right teaching, had no love for one another. In his memoir, he wrote this. He says, where was the passion for evangelism that fills the pages of the New Testament? Where was the devotional literature expressing love for the Lord? Where were the hymns that would demonstrate that the imagination and the heart were being touched by God's truth along with the mind? Where were the supernaturally transformed lives of a people who were being changed by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit? Where was love for fellow believers and for one's unbelieving neighbors that would show to the world that the Father sent the Son for our salvation? When we progress in knowledge but not love... When, when what we know about the Bible and about God is not growing us in love, you know what it does grow us in? Pride. 
it, as Paul says, it puffs us up. The word that he, Paul uses when he says that knowledge puffs up is the, the image of a billows, right? It's big, but it's empty. There's nothing in there. When I see people get into theology, right? They're, oh, they're reading these books and they're so zealous for the right teaching, but there's no love there. It doesn't result in compassion. It doesn't result in patience. It doesn't result in worshiping Jesus more or repenting of sin. It always results instead in pride and division. When people, you know, get really hard line on their political positions, like I hear that happens somewhere these days. <laughs> you know, that's all good. You've become more progressive. You've become more conservative. I couldn't care any less. But if that new knowledge you have, then you've connected it with your faith. Well, look at what the Bible says about justice. I agree. But if that new knowledge is not accompanied by love, it is nothing but puffing you up and causing division. People who get the ecstatic experiences of the Holy Spirit and they're speaking in this and that and they're prophesying this and that, all good. Nothing wrong with it. But if there is not love along with it, it is not building up the body, it is tearing it down. Again and again and again. When we get knowledge without love, it results in self-superiority, self-righteousness, and division. And it's nothing new. Paul is addressing this exact issue in the church at Corinth. And, uh, and just to kind of, because there's a lot of cultural distance and we'll misunderstand this, we got to deal with, the, with a word he uses here in verse 1. He says, now about food sacrificed to idols. Okay, now we don't have idols or food sacrificed to it, so this misses us. You see, in ancient Corinth, they were a very pagan society. There were not many Jews even in ancient Corinth. And you had um, idols, you know, to Serapis and Zeus and Athena and whomever. And what you would do is you would make a sacrifice and then eat, you know, you would sacrifice a lamb or whatever. And then you'd go into like the fellowship hall and you'd eat the meal in the temple in the presence of the god. And sometimes that food was taken to the market. You didn't have, like, you know, local farmers providing the market with meat. Very frequently, the, the meat from the temples were that was then sold in the market. And so the, uh, the Corinthians had written to Paul in a different letter and asked him, hey, some of us think it's fine to go and eat meat in the temples of the idols. And it's because we know more theologically. Right, and we're going to get into that. But the, the church was very divided over this. Is it okay or is it not okay? And they write to Paul. Paul, in chapter 8, couldn't care any less about resolving the question. You know what he tells them? He tells them that love is the way of true knowledge. He's not interested in saying who's right. He's dealing with the attitude of the heart towards each other. Look at what he says here in verse 2. He says, it, well, first he says, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. Translation, knowledge without love isn't knowledge. It isn't Christian knowledge. It isn't knowledge of God in the Bible. 
And then he says in verse 3 that true knowledge manifests itself in love. It says, whoever loves God is known by God. It's possible to take those words also. Whoever loves knows. Okay. E either way, the real key to having the sort of knowledge Paul encourages, not knowledge that puffs up, but knowledge that builds up, is love. So what does that mean? Does that mean we just need to turn our brains off and love? Is love understood by Paul to be mainly a feeling? As long as we have warm feelings towards each other, then, then we're doing good, right? Is knowledge itself bad? No. It's a certain type of knowledge, okay? So the first thing we see is that knowledge needs to be applied. We must apply knowledge. Look at verse, verses 4 through 6. He says, So then, about food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world. You see the scare quotes around that. Paul is quoting back their own argument to him. This is what the, the knowledgeable people wrote to him. They say, hey, we feel like we can go and eat meat uh, in the idol's temple. And you have to understand, the social life of Corinth revolved around the temple. If you were a noble, if you were a businessman and you weren't at these meals, you were cut out of the network. Making sense? So you understand why they'd want to be there. He says, yeah, that's true. We know an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. So they're saying, hey, we know idols aren't real, and we know that God is. There's only one God. And he says, right on. Your belief is fine. It's their application that is way, way off. He refers to it in verse 2, where he says, those of you who think you know, you don't know it like you should. You don't really get it. What's the difference? Is there anything wrong with their belief? Hey, there's only one God. True. Paul says, I agree. But it's their application is where they miss it. Those of us who have been told, and here's where I do it, I hate it, but I have to, that really Paul doesn't care whether they eat meat sacrificed to idols or not, that's not true. Paul isn't talking about a matter of indifference. He's just not dealing with it here. We have to realize that chapter 8 all the way through chapter 10 is answering this question about eating meat sacrificed to idols. And when we look at chapter 10, uh, verses 19 through 21, Paul doesn't think it's okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols. He says, do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. I don't want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Does that sound like a matter of indifference? No, it's not talking about drinking alcohol, folks, which is how I always heard this applied. Yeah, whether you do or you don't, doesn't matter, right? This is not about that. This is about, yeah, you've got knowledge, but you're not applying it. You say, yes, there's one God, therefore I can go and worship at another idol's temple, right? We must apply knowledge. When I was 19, I got into reading theological books, okay? 
In particular, I became what you call a cage Calvinist. That is someone who reads a book on Calvinism and needs to be put in a cage <laughs> until they're safe to be let out. All right? Now, think of what, those of you who don't know what Calvinism is, don't worry about it. It basically says that God does everything in salvation and that we are saved in spite of our performance. We're, we're saved by what Jesus did. That, that's the heart of Calvinism. And if you think about that, how should that make you respond? Humility. There's nothing I've done, right? Joy. I'm forgiven. I can't blow this. Mercy to others. We're in the same boat. I'm no better than anybody. What did it do for me? I said, oh, I could win lots of arguments now that I'm loaded up with, with all this knowledge. I could really, I could really humiliate people, <laughs> right? It became knowledge that was true and fine and biblical but I applied it completely wrong. So I didn't know as I should know. We need to apply knowledge. Whenever we are reading our Bibles, this is, this is good for you guys who are reading your Bibles and doing devotions, which is a good thing. You always have to ask, what is, what is it saying is true about God, Jesus, us, the world? And what is it saying to do as a result? If we are just filling up our heads with interesting knowledge, nothing wrong with interesting knowledge, and by the way, Paul has no problem with it. He writes to correct theology a lot, but if it goes unapplied, it is simply puffing us up. So we can't just stop at something like, well, God created all things. That's true. Great. So what? God created all things. Therefore, I need to treat all creation as from God and good. That's an application. You see the difference? Not just what is true, but what to do as a result. If we are to understand that love is the path to true knowledge, we first need to apply knowledge. And, and when we say love, is Paul talking about warm feelings for each other? There's nothing wrong with warm feelings for one another. What he's actually talking about is dying to rights. Look at what Paul says in verses 7 and 8. He says, not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. But since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Now, what's going on there is you have to understand that many Christians at Corinth were former worshipers of Serapis or Asclepius or, uh, or whomever. They used to go to these meals and sacrifice to these gods, and to them, to go and worship in that idol's temple again, to take part in the meal, is the same thing to them as turning their back on Jesus. And they have these more knowledgeable people saying, no, go ahead and do it. So Paul isn't saying, hey, you guys are right, it's fine to do it. He's saying, forget about being right. What does it matter? What does it matter if you're right? Look at what you're doing to your brother. Okay? He is totally, Paul is not trying to settle whether it's not okay or not to, to eat the meat. Okay? He addresses it later in, in, this, in this long section, but he's mostly concerned about you're so concerned with being right about this point, that you're not thinking about your brother. You're not thinking about your sister. It's not just dying to being right, but it's dying to having your rights. 
verses 9 and 10 says this. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge, and yes, he's being very sarcastic there, with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? He's saying you're going to exercise what you think are your rights. Never mind that you shouldn't be eating there. He'll get to, to that later. He says you don't care how it's affected, how you exercising your rights is crushing, is encouraging your brother and sister to do something they understand to be turning their backs on Jesus. The true path of knowledge is love, and that includes dying to rights. Now, am I saying die to human rights? And no, that's not what it is. It's saying, how do we get unity among people who disagree? I look around this room. I know many of you guys. We're all over the map, theologically, politically, background. We have different opinions all over the place. Is the way that we get unity by being the Borg? You know, we, yes, we all agree. Matt says it. We say it too. Like, that's not how it works, you know? We're not the Borg. We're people who disagree, and so were the ancient Corinthians, and so was everybody in the ancient church. The church is supposed to include people from different points of view. So how do we have unity without enforcing a Borg-like mentality? It's by, dying to being, it's by dying to being right. There is no medal that you're going to get for out-arguing someone on Facebook or Reddit or whatever thing. Okay? Can we seek truth together? Can we sit down with someone we disagree with and, and discuss? Yes, that's healthy. That's good. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what Paul's talking about. The need to be right, the need to win causes division. We need to die to the need to be right. We also need to die to our own rights. Again, I'm not talking about having your, your dignity recognized. That's not the sort of rights Paul is talking about, but talking about getting your way getting your recognition, getting your respect, being recognized as right and having the rights that come with being right, making sure your preferences are catered to. Right? That's what we need to die to. You want to know how to know if you're really understanding a doctrine of the Bible and the Christian faith? It's when you stop caring about being right. It's when you stop caring about getting your way. It's when we start caring about one another more than ourselves. It's when we're indifferent to winning an argument and we are far more passionate about loving one another, about listening to one another. Now, to really evaluate knowledge, though, we've got to ask, what does it produce? And that's the last part of, of Paul's argument where he's not settling the question of eating meat sacrificed to idols. He's addressing the heart. And he says, you've got to ask, what does it produce? We must evaluate knowledge by its results. Look at verses 18, 11 through 13, rather. He says, so this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ, right? So what are the results here of all your vaunted knowledge? You destroy your brother. You sin against Christ. And then he says, therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, 
I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. He's like, it doesn't matter. It do, your knowledge doesn't matter. You have to look at what, it's, what is it producing. You know better. You're the strong one. You're the knowledgeable one. And what is it producing? It's producing destroying your brother. It's producing sinning against Christ. It's producing pride, making you puffed up. It's leading to division in the church. Any, anything that we want to call knowledge about God, we've got to ask, what's the result? Is it building up the church? Is it raising up the downtrodden? Is it comforting the afflicted? Is it bringing people to love Jesus more? Is it making us more patient with one another? Is it fueling up parents to, to love their kids? Is it, is, it, is it encouraging single folks to live for Jesus? If it's not, it is not knowledge according to God's word. That half-informed blogger who's, you know, ranting and we're going after this garbage like dumpster divers. What's it producing? Does it make people love the Lord more? Love each other more? Is it encouraging humility? Or is it encouraging self-righteousness and pride? Is it resulting, is all, this, is all this harsh rhetoric around masks building up the church? Has all this blind allegiance or knee-jerk opposition to former President Trump made anyone love Jesus more? Has engaging in harsh polemic with one another and trying to win arguments over whatever issue, has it led to a richer worship of Christ? There are all sorts of things that the church is currently engaging in that aren't knowledge. It isn't a sign that we're going deeper. It's a sign that we lack love. Love is the way of true knowledge. We need to apply knowledge, die to our rights, and evaluate knowledge by results. Let's pray.